It's 2022, which means it's a renewal year and you need CEUs. 30 if you're in South Carolina, and three of those have to be on ethics, jurisprudence, and whatever else goes in that category. Look, the year's going by fast, and you can knock out all those requirements with a MedBridge subscription, and you can get 40% off with the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD. I have a friend named Shelly, and she's a little lazy. Her words, not mine. She hasn't done any Con Ed over the past year and a half until she got her subscription set up. And what she does is she just puts modules on her phone while she watches 90 Day Fiance. Great show, by the way. Is she learning anything? No. But is she getting the local governing bodies off her bat? Yes. Your subscription also includes NSCA credits, OCS certification prep courses, patient education, home exercise programs, EMR integration. There's tons and tons of resources. Again, use the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD to get 40% off your individual subscription. That's the best price that MedBridge offers, okay? Only the best for our listeners. Now enjoy the episode. Welcome to a special episode of the Better Faster Podcast. Today, we are joined by a good friend of mine, colleague, and, and patient of mine, a self-described bone nerd. This is mm-hmm. Colleen Barkley. So very, very excited to dive into this because I know you and I have had a lot of just great conversations over the years yeah. about bony stress injuries in particular and your perspective with that. So I really think that this, in my opinion, this is something that's, that's honestly missing. In our profession and, and sort of the mainstream. So I'm really excited to dive into this. And um, what I figured we do is maybe get the listeners up to speed. If you want to tell them a little about who you are, um, tell them about yourself and how you got to this point. Sure. So I went through the Army Baylor PT program quite a few years ago. Um, and when I graduated, then I worked for the military as an active duty physical therapist. Um, for about five years, and then I switched into civilian practice. Um, Came back to Fort Jackson and worked there as a a federal employee working in the physical therapy department and mostly worked with the basic training population. And so in the basic training population, the primary injuries that we see are overuse injuries and really more specifically bone stress injuries. So this is an area that I became very well-versed in, something I saw every day, all day long, in large quantities, more so than in the general population. And with a physical therapist in the Army, especially, we're able to order imaging and then review imaging. So when you have that ability and then you combine that with your evaluation skills, you, you tend to learn a lot more about how these injuries develop and some of the things that you can do to kind of get them to slow down or even stop and reverse. And so that's kind of my background is 20 plus years working with the military, primarily with basic training soldiers. And wow. Fort Jackson is, is special because mm-hmm. that, that is where the recruits go. Right. right. So. It's the largest, largest basic training um, facility in the Army. Mm-hmm. So I... I I sometimes refer to it as the stress fracture capital of the yes, world. Yes, it definitely it's like, is. It's like all day long, right? So right. of course you're going to get some some expertise with that. And yeah. um, I, I imagine that I'm going I'm to kind of um, tee up here, but I imagine okay. that what you see, what you've seen in the clinic, uh, varies uh, wildly, but also differs a lot from what you read in the textbook. Correct. Very much so. There's not a lot of current research in bone stress injuries and a lot of that is because in the general population they just don't happen 
with enough volume for them to really want to pinpoint you know, particular stress injuries and study them. And so the literature is way far behind. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, hopefully that will change in the near future with because some current research that's coming out. That's right. Publication. Uh, <laughs> because you just got published. Yes, I just though. got published in the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery. Congratulations. That's, that's huge. That's so cool. That is huge because yeah. that's that's not, because you, you're not, a physical therapist. Yeah. It's not a PT yeah. journal. That's it's a work journal, right? So. No, but in the, in the military, the thing that's different is that physical therapists pretty much act as orthopedic um, like PAs in that we're the pre-screeners for anything that goes to orthopedics. So we'll see it. And if we think that it needs to go further, if it needs to be seen by a surgeon, then we'll make that determination and send them. So ortho and PT work very, very close together in the military, especially in the army because of that. So, you know, it's, it's something that, um, I would say I did more ortho than I did physical therapy, especially Mm -hmm. with basic trainees, you know, because they can't really come in to do rehab. You're just kind of educating them on what their injury is and then giving them strategies to help prevent that from getting worse while they stay in training. Mm -hmm. For sure. For sure. And so, yeah, and and, and essentially, I think to also give the listeners a little bit more background, you know, what you described is that the physical therapist is essentially the gatekeeper for all things musculoskeletal in the military setting. And I I think that is also a a goal for us to maybe one day get there in the civilian world. Yeah. You you had also mentioned your ability to order imaging. And I Mm -hmm. believe last time I checked, still one state, Wisconsin? Uh, Wisconsin, maybe Colorado, too. I think maybe another one. Everything's legal in Colorado. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) That that could be the case. So maybe two states where PTs can do that. But I got to think that if one day we could flip a switch and that became legal here in South Carolina, I would need a refresher on that right now. I would be happy to come in and sit down and show you everything I know because it is something that I found to be so much more important as a physical therapist, especially when you're doing initial evaluations. Because a lot of times, you know, you read the radiology report on somebody, but Radiology reports can be very vague or, you know, kind of to cover their ass. The the radiologist is going to mention every little thing and it may have no, you know, relationship to what you're actually seeing in the clinic. So being able to view the imaging Mm -hmm. and compare it to what you see in your evaluation is so important because it can be night or day on how you're going to manage that patient. Mm, for sure. Um, and I know we see that a lot on, on the other side of things, too, because whenever people get those those findings that don't correlate with their symptoms, a lot of times mm-hmm. that slaps a label on the patient. Puts, oh, almost yeah. puts a tag on their brain to where they become fearful. Too. Right. And the MRIs are even worse. Yeah. You know, because an MRI, like everybody thinks that the MRI is going to diagnose their problem when in reality, an MRI shows signal. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> you can have high signal in an area that a radiologist is going to call a stress injury or a fracture, but there's no history, there's no you know clinical findings that correlate to a fracture, and so you need to be able to understand what you're seeing on imaging. And the only way you can do that is to look at imaging and compare it to your patients. And so, yeah, I mean, we would get patients all the time sent to us from the, you know, the primary care providers, crutches and, you know, oh, I've got a fracture. And then you look at the imaging, it's like, no, you don't. (laughs) 
Yes. You know, and, and, and especially like with things like meniscus tear, soft tissue mm-hmm. injuries, you know, we'd see that a lot too, where the radiologist would see a tiny bit of signal in a meniscus and say, oh, you got a meniscus tear. Mm-hmm. So now the soldier or the patient thinks that they need to go see an orthopedic surgeon for surgery when in reality, they just compressed their meniscus a little bit more than they normally have and some fluid signal got in there. Right. It's just a normal finding on somebody who's being active for the first time. So, so with that, so what you're describing sounds like a pretty strong disconnect between yes. radiology and, and clinical practice. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I would would tell people is that you know radiology looks at imaging. Mm-hmm. They're experts in looking at an image to pick things apart. Orthopedics are experts in surgery. Mm-hmm. They know how to put things back together. Physical therapists can see the whole picture, so they're looking at imaging. Their understanding of what, you know, needs to, um, like, who would need surgery versus who can do without that. And then just kind of looking at the patient in general and seeing what other deficits might be there that they can correct with just doing strengthening and, and education and biomechanical corrections. So the physical therapist sees the whole picture and radiology just sees the picture without the patient. And ortho just sees the tiny fraction also, you know, and, and makes a determination, do we do surgery or not? Because gotcha. they're surgeons. They, that's what they want to do, and that's what they're geared towards. We're geared towards trying to prevent that kind of, you know, situation where somebody gets surgery that's unnecessary mm-hmm. because, you know, what they have going on isn't as bad as it's being made to, you know, seem on the imaging report or, you know, just in general, you know, I've got this pain that's lasted me for a while and it's not getting any better with what I'm doing. So now I'm going to have surgery on it. For sure. You know, whereas physical therapists can look at all of those things and basically come up with strategies that will probably help and have nothing to do with the imaging. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm glad you clarified that too, because that that sounds almost like a hammers, see nails situation. Oh yeah. First I was all right. Is this like, is this a laziness thing? Is it CYA or? It's a lot of CYA is what we found. You know, it's a lot of CYA that, you know, patients, like I said, everybody thinks that an MRI is going to diagnose them. So everybody wants an MRI Mm -hmm. to find out what's wrong. And it's like, you know, we don't need the MRI to tell you what's wrong. We take the history. We look at your examination, you know, and we can see signs and symptoms of specific types of injuries that might require surgery because the only reason you're going to get an MRI is to determine whether or not you need surgery for mm-hmm. something. Right. Right. It's almost like it's so ingrained in our culture and society that yep. the patients value that so much that it's, it's really hard to get away from it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, and there's a lot of false positives in imaging mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that people will, you know, they'll grab onto if they hear the word fracture or tear or whatever. They want to grab onto something so that yeah. they can get it fixed. Yeah, it's, it's human nature, conventional wisdom, yep. right? You know, you got a problem, you want a simple answer, simple solution. But as mm-hmm. we know, when it comes to the pain, it's, it ain't that simple, mm-hmm. right? That's right. what this is all about. Um, 
So with that being said, with everything we've talked about thus far, because um, I know your the, the title of your uh-huh. recent publication was, uh, probably paraphrasing here, but it was Femoral Neck Stress Fractures in the Military? In Athletes in the Military. Athletes in the Military, current, gotcha. It's like the current concept. Gotcha. So what I was hoping is is maybe if you could walk us through like the, the typical avatar of someone who you see in this population. Because in my head, you know, I'm thinking about you know, mostly my runners or I'm suspecting this kind of stuff, the test mm-hmm. that I typically go through, which honestly still at this point are largely based on what I've studied, what mm-hmm. I've read in textbooks and prepping for OCS, all that kind of stuff too. But, you know, I want right. to know what it's actually like in the world. world. Right. So if you want to walk us through that. Sure. Awesome. So, um, you know, again, the biggest probably highest risk injury we would see in the military are are stress injuries and stress fractures, especially over the femoral neck. And bone stress injuries either occur because the bone has not been exposed to a particular type of stress enough to develop the strength to tolerate that stress, or there's something wrong with the bone. It could be osteoporosis. It could be some metabolic issue. And so what we would see primarily in in basic training was those soldiers who their bones were fine, but they've never exposed the bones to the type of stress necessary to tolerate things like impact loading and even standing for any length of time on a hard surface, you know, and they stand in formation a lot. Mm -hmm. So the internal structure that that provides the strength to the bone are the trabecular, which are this this, like this little web network of, of internal bone structure. And those form along the lines of stress and strain that you put to a bone. So you get somebody that comes into basic training who maybe has never really worked out, run, done any kind of impact or loading, and then suddenly they're doing it all day, every day, and not really getting any kind of a rest in between for the bone to be able to heal itself enough adequately to be able to tolerate the same thing the next day. So what we would see is this gradual breakdown of soldiers from the day they arrived, and typically we would see these injuries develop around like the fourth or fifth week after they've done a lot more marching and running and, and that type of thing. Um, there is no demographic. You can have the football player from high school develop one. You have the individuals who never did a day of activity in their life. Um, and the, the primary reason is the impact in loading. And nowadays when it comes to individuals developing any kind of bone strength were really really missing the mark because sports aren't emphasized as much phys ed is not emphasized as much but also soldiers you know when we talk to them when they're younger they couldn't walk to school because of safety issues they didn't walk to their friend's house they didn't play outside unattended and then when they did go to playgrounds or such they cushioned surfaces um, things that absorb any kind of shock so their bones didn't have to do that you know and then they prep to go to basic training if they prep at all they'll go to a gym and they'll work out on a treadmill or elliptical trainer they may lift some weights that type of thing to get ready for it but really the focus has gotten away from doing things that are, you know, organic outside on hard surfaces. And so you get to basic training and there's really no good bone strength development for things that are more athletic on a hard surface. You know, basic training, they do most of their training outside on asphalt, on concrete, that type of thing. And so 
we would see these soldiers, they'd come in, we would, you know, do an assessment on them. And then we had a protocol set in place at Fort Jackson because of the high number and the high risk of femoral neck stress fractures where a soldier came in complaining of hip pain, they automatically got put on crutches and we would get an x-ray just to rule out any kind of, you know, frank fracture or any kind of bony anomaly that we would see that might develop this pain and then a bone scan would be set up for them. The bone scan then, if it came up hot in an area close to or at the femoral neck, it was automatically sent to get an MRI to determine is there a stress fracture there, bone stress injury, how bad is that, that type of thing. And this was a protocol that was set in place, it's been in place for a while at Fort Jackson. Um, but we were able to get all of those studies done within a 72-hour time frame because basic training is time-dependent. You know, you can't be out of training for any length of time because if you miss too much, then you got to start over again and there is no soldier on the face of the planet that wants to start all over again or have their training delayed Um, because we have that protocol we would see these stress injuries in various different um, stages you know and some things that are called a stress injury early on in training, like when the first couple of weeks are really just general overuse. It's just their body adapting to the physiologic changes um, that they're going through. Whereas if we saw these things later on in training when their body should have at least had time to adapt, then we knew it was probably more pathological problem. And then we kept a a database on all of the soldiers that did indeed have a significant injury like a stress fracture or a a frank fracture, any kind of injury that pulled a soldier out of training for safety reasons. And that that database was maintained for, well, I, I had control of it for about eight years, and we would use the information to provide you know, data to the training battalions to let them know, you know, hey, your injury rates are this and these are the types of injuries you had for this cycle. You might want to change how you're doing things. Or, you know, we see this company that has this specific injury happening in, happening in high volume. You want to look at that and see what they're doing as far as training. So, so basically, um, Our job as physical therapists was to evaluate the patient, get the imaging done that needed to be done, and then determine, does this need to go to orthopedics? Is this something that's surgical or is it something that we can manage? And then um, we would, if we had to pull him out of training temporarily, we would. But if we could keep him in training using specific strategies to help prevent that injury from progressing further, we would do that too. Um, I guess uh, there's it, one thing that really uh, popped in my mind there, a question for you was, you know, you have this data, you create, the, you see these trends, you then bring that data to the people that kind of have maybe some say over what changes could be made to prevent some of it. My question is like, how receptive were, were <laughs> these individuals? And then and like, were some of the changes maybe that were suggested, they actually implement them? Or is it more of a like, you know what, we don't want people that are going to break, you know, this like, if you can't handle it, that's a you know, way. Talk to me about that whole dynamic. Yeah, so that kind of, I will say that the... 
the battalion commanders, company commanders, all of the drill sergeants, they want to do everything they can to prevent these injuries. But they constantly have a finger pointed at them that they are the cause of these injuries. And so they tend to, they want to know about it, but they don't want it to be like broadcast to the world that their battalion had the worst injuries, you know, the highest number of stress injuries. So they don't, they want to keep it close hold, meaning don't send this information out to everybody. Just send it to us and let us deal with it. And if we have questions, we'll, we'll talk to you about it. Some people really just, they saw that we had data and they're like, I want all the data in the world because I want to analyze this to death and, you know, see what we can do to prevent this. Or, you know, we want to use this data to prove this other thing or, you know, so it was, it depended on the information. But for the most part, they were very, very receptive. They enjoyed us giving them this information but they hated the fact that we were pointing a finger at them as causing these injuries. When a lot of times, especially in you know the the current status of soldiers coming in the military, it really had nothing to do with them. Right. You know, if we saw these stress injuries happen in the first couple of weeks of training, then we would do you know we started to look at their bone density and found that a lot of soldiers are coming in the military with a very low bone density, like osteoporosis levels. So gravity was the cause of the injury, not the training that they did or didn't do in, in you know, their, their battalions. Um, and so being honest with the battalion command and the company commanders on that kind of thing is really important, but I think medical doesn't want to do that. Right. They don't want to say, hey, it's not your fault, not really our fault. It's the soldiers' physical capabilities that are at fault ultimately, mm-hmm. um, because medical wants to be able to prove they're right. They want to be able to show um, evidence to back it up, and they don't want to speculate on what the cause of these injuries are. But if you get an 18-year-old who's got a bone density you know, of negative 2.5 who develops multiple stress fractures in the first two weeks of training when they're really not doing a lot, you can't blame the training. Right, right. You got to look at this is now a situation where it's not normal bone that's being um, exposed to repetitive stress. It's abnormal bone, like, like, you know, osteoporosis, um, but the beauty in a young population is that they can change that fairly quickly, given enough time and education and information on how to improve their bone density and bone strength. So kind of a long answer to your question is um, if it was the right medical person speaking to the battalions yeah, yeah. who understood you know, what the training involved, who understood the concerns and issues that the basic training population, you know, and their leadership was going through, they were fine. But if you're a medical provider who's just pointing a finger, telling them you've got too many stress injuries, you need to fix that, they don't want to hear that. So, mm-hmm. you know, you have to have the right people mm-hmm. involved in that communication. 
Gotcha. It almost sounds like there needs to be a basic before basic because yeah. you're talking about 18-year-old mm-hmm. osteoporosis. Like, is is that pathologic or is that more so just a lifestyle thing? Because right. we're, mm-hmm. and I guess so, was, was it getting was it getting worse? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Career, career, yeah, yeah. Really yes. decline. Way yeah. worse, way worse. When I first started at Fort Jackson, we almost never saw stress injuries until they were supposed to occur, which is near the end of training Mm -hmm. after like a repetitive accumulation of stresses through the bone and finally something gives but with this you know what did you do well i'm stood in formation okay but you know what did you do before this well nothing and um so it was it's something that really we saw over the last probably five years get really, really bad. And when we would get a soldier that had, you know, findings of really low bone density, then we would, you know, talk to the primary care providers about doing other testing on them, like checking their vitamin D levels and checking for any kind of anemia or anything else that might've factored into that. That was Mm -hmm. more of a systemic issue. Mm -hmm. Didn't really find it. So it was more of a bone modeling bone tolerance thing than it was anything else. And that's, you know, the thing is soldiers, patients, individuals develop their bone kind of strength and, you know, their bone cells when they are in those growth spurts. So we're talking 12, 13, 14 years old, when they start to really start growing, that's when they need to be really getting their bones as strong as they possibly can. That's when they need to be doing impact and loading. They need to be walking outside in places. They need to be getting out of the gym and off of the spring floors and off of the padded mats and just doing like walking programs and that so that by the time their bones stop that development, they've got as much bone material they they can have there. And that's exactly the population that is not getting that anymore again because they're not walking to school they're not playing outside they're not doing the things during that time frame they need to to give them a nice big cache of bones so that when they start doing more impact and loading they are working with good material and like i said it it, it, somebody who's young they can change that they can turn that around pretty Mm -hmm. quickly Compared to like your 70 year old patient that has osteoporosis, they can turn it around too, but it takes a long time. Sure, I, I know it, it, this has changed the way like I bring things with my kids. So, so Bo, my two year old, like he'll come up on the couch and jump off. My wife freaks out. I like, don't get hold of her. I'm like, wait a second, baby. Let me tell you what Colleen's doing. <laughs> <laughs> Let him do it. Let him jump. Let him jump. Let him hit the ground. Well, you know, and just kind of an aside on that one, that's one of the other things that we saw is a lot of these soldiers had never been exposed to anything painful. Right. Before. Yeah. So, you know, they come in in mass on the first couple of weeks of training because it's the first time they've ever felt or experienced something uncomfortable or painful. God. And they just, their bodies didn't know how to respond. So neurologically, their Threat. their body just shut down yeah, yeah they, they just hyper reaction you know reacted to just having pain for the first time you, know, you ask yeah. them well hey didn't you ever fall off a bike or skin your knee and they're like no what's a bike yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 so you are yeah. being too coddled too much yeah, oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. like yeah. the whole like safety 
thing. I mean, I get it that it's detrimental to the kids nowadays that are getting into the age of going into the military. They're coming in and they're just, their bodies can't do it. They can't take it. Well, I know we're going to probably see the effects of that in how many more years from now, but you think that same generation, you know, we know that there's, there's going to be a peak where you will hit the most bone mineral density that you will ever have. And then it's a slow decline. You're trying to mitigate that decline, but if that peak's a whole lot lower, and then we're also not doing anything to mitigate it, you wonder if there's going to be in, you know, potential epidemic of bone, you know, you know, fractures and things going down where people maybe 10 years ago would have fallen and not had a problem. And now the same type of individual falls. And now it's a fracture that, you know, because they're the, the, you know, this whole timeline that never prepared for that. Even right. And we yeah. saw that in basic training. Somebody who had sprained their ankle mm-hmm. and it, you know, just like a basic, like, oh, it stepped wrong, twisted mm-hmm. my ankle. You get an x-ray and they've got a displaced fracture. And it's like, Goodness gracious. so, you know, yeah. that would be another thing for us to run a bone density study is if they had an injury that occurred from some mechanism that shouldn't have created that injury. Mm-hmm. It's like, wait a minute. Like, like we, this doesn't add up. <laughs> tibias. We, we saw patients whose tibias telescoped in on themselves just from doing impact. Good Lord. Goodness you know, and it's like, what? They <laughs> yeah. didn't have a bone tumor that would cause yeah. that to happen, which is the only other time you would see that. Yeah. But then you look at their bone density and it's super low. It's like, oh, well, they did yeah. impact and their tibia just crumbled. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. so femoral necks, you know, the thing about that is that it's an area of the body that has stresses that are unlike other areas because right. of the angle between the femur and the femoral head and then the femoral necks there. So that angle creates a, a force called torque, which is a rotary force. And that torque is concentrated right where the femoral neck, you know, connects into the femur, and that's where most of the femoral neck stress fractures happen. Um, that torque force is three to five times, you know, normal forces in the rest of the bone structure just standing still. So then you increase, you, you throw impact in that, and then that's four to ten times the body weight. So if you think about it, you know, if you got, you know, somebody standing and they got 100 pounds of weight on their body, that weight's got to transfer down to their legs and down to the floor. So that transfer occurs at the head of the femur where it is, you know, impacting with the acetabulum. And then so they got a downward force there and they have an upward force going up their leg and femur. And that femoral neck is kind of going to give kind of the angle at which they bypass each other. So so you have the downward force and then the, the femur, the upward force, and it's not right on top of it, each other, so it doesn't cancel it out. Right. Mm-hmm. So you get that rotational force right at the femoral neck. And, you know, yeah. and it's worse when somebody has, you know, more of a um, varus angle versus a valgus angle. You know, they're more prone to that. They have done research and shown that. We can't change that. Shears off in some yeah, cases. Yeah. And it's just, it's just the, the concentrated forces break down the little trabecula. The, mm-hmm. the femoral neck and femoral head are primarily trabecular bone with a very thin wall of cortical bone on the outside. And the trabecula's job is to disperse forces through the bone so that by the time it hits the cortical bone, that is, you know, decreased enough 
that it's not going to break the cortical bone. Right. And so what will happen is all these trabeculars start to break down on the inside of the bone. And you see that on MRI is increased fluid signal in that area without a fracture. You can't see it on an x-ray, but bone scan will pick it up within a couple of days of it starting. And then once those trabecular break down enough, it's just like the struts on the side of a bridge. You get enough of them to go, and all of a sudden it just collapses all at once. And so that's the big concern there is if... And and if you look at how they check bone density, they look at the low back and the hips because those are the two areas where all of the forces of the body are focused and are going to be affected by loading and impact the most. So those should be the strongest areas of your body in terms of your bone structure. When they're the weakest areas, you can only just imagine how weak non-bearing bones are compared to those areas. And so... You know, it's it's scary when it's happening with young individuals because it shouldn't be. You know, their bone tolerance, their bone density, their bone strength should be really, really good. But, you know, it's not because those little trabecular are so thin and, and so fragile that there's the structure breaks down so quickly. We've seen soldiers that have completely fractured their hip within two days of getting the basic training. And they, I mean, they really haven't done anything. Remodel, get thicker. That's yeah, right. Yeah. right. And then other things factor in like strength of the hip muscles, the body mechanics on how they do things like squat mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. they lift heavy items and how they carry them. Yeah. You know, that's a big factor too. So, so thinking about this in terms of like clinical exam for us. So mm-hmm. we, we, we have someone coming in. How, how useful are those special tests we get the first semester of PT school? Your fulcrums, your percussion, that sort of thing. What, what sort of things should we be looking out for? The, what kind of patterns? So basically, well, number one, don't ever do the hop test. The hop test is, that is a fracture waiting to happen. And we've seen it happen in basic training where somebody is doing an evaluation. They have the, the soldier jump up and, and land. And if a femoral neck stress injury is a lot of, you know, a lot of the effect is impact and loading. Sometimes that's the last straw they need to break through the rest of those trabecula. Yeah. So never do the hop test. Never. But it's it's a combination of things. You're going to see somebody with an antalgic gait that's not a Trendelenburg gait. It's more of a compensated gluteus medius gait. They're trying to get over their that, yeah. body over that mm-hmm. leg. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have pain anytime they step down and especially worse when they are doing impact or loading and then they're also going to have what we found is we called it an active straight leg raise but when they try to actively flex their hip they can't do it uh, or it's really painful for them to do it and that combination is about the best way to determine or to have a high suspicion for like a femoral neck stress fracture Mm -hmm. um Faber doesn't do anything, scour test, you know, a lot of times they can't even tolerate that if they have an actual fracture. And so it's more a combination of, okay, what's their history? What are they doing that is impact and loading that their body's not used to? Are they antalgic when they walk? Is it painful? Does that pain go away immediately and not come, you know, is it, is it, not there the next day when they're out doing things or is it just as bad if not worse the next day 
you know, and then difficulty resisting gravity or a resisted straight leg raise. Um, those are the main things we saw. Okay. Our new That's cluster, right. bro. For sure. Yeah, new cluster. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> there we go. Absolutely. It's the next thing to publish, Colleen. Yeah, yeah. there you go, dude. You know, yeah. I'm going to say, heart, being a clinician my entire career, it is very difficult to take what we know in clinical practice and translate it to evidence because we're looking at human beings. There's too many confounding mm-hmm. elements. And so some of that stuff just can't be researched. And that's sure. part of the problem is we know those of us who've worked with this type of injury for a really long time know exactly what's going on. But when we try to explain it to other individuals who may have funding available or may have a vested interest in this particular type of injury, the first thing they ask is, well, where's the evidence? Yeah. Well, show us the evidence. You know, how are you going to worst. how are you going to do a prospective study where you're able to pick out this one element as the cause? Yeah. Or, you know, and, and being a clinician, you know, you're not a research focus. You have to have a research team helping you out with that kind of stuff, and it just doesn't happen. It's not it's not sexy enough, you know, right, for right. the military to really look at hard, or and it doesn't happen in enough volume outside the military for anybody to, to look at it closely. Yes, where the longer I practice, the more I realize there's a Grand Canyon size gap between clinical practice and the and the academia world for sure. I mean, could you oh, imagine for if- sure. Everything we did was based off of a journal. Like, you'd be pretty limited. It'd probably set back, like, 10, 20 years. Yeah. And and unfortunately, like, the scientists that do most of the research, the orthopedics, the the residents, you know, they don't know what to research. Right. Because nobody combines with with the, the best thing would be is a clinician who's got a lot of experience combining with the other elements, like ortho Mm -hmm. and radiology, and then having somebody who's got a research background you know handle a lot of that other paperwork the irb reviews mm-hmm. and that type of thing um but it doesn't happen right and so yeah nobody knows the right questions to ask when it comes to research they don't know you know i mean you i read a lot of research and there's the whole so what well how's this going to help me mm-hmm. like so right, what right. okay mm-hmm. you know yeah for yeah. sure for sure um and and you know, and that part of the problem is it's the human body. There's yeah, too yeah. many variables. I agree. So I, oh, I was going to say, like, in this, listening to you go through this whole process, I had two more kind of questions that popped up in my mind. Um, and the first one was, at what point and also which provider or who in this chain kind of decides when you're pulling somebody out and when they're done and they're going to recycle and that kind of thing? It's like, it's so, like, how... How do you know when it's gotten to that point? Is that strictly like you're using, you have the suspicion, so you go into that protocol, you go through the imaging. Is it you're trying to determine how bad it is based on the image? Is it more about the presentation? Is it a combo? Do you make that call? Does ortho make that call? How does how does that go? All right, so. <laughs> if it's too long-winded. I'm no, like, that's, yeah. that's a big question. You might yeah. have to remind me of what it is after I start talking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the... Ultimately, the person, at least at Fort Jackson, who makes that decision is PT. Okay. The primary care's job is to make sure that the soldiers get sent through the protocol. So a soldier shows up, they make sure they get put on crutches, they order the initial imaging. By the time that's done and, you know, MRI or bone scan or whatever says that they have a stress injury, then they're down to us. And then um, physical therapy then 
evaluates the patient looks for things like, you know, antalgic gait, or do they have asymmetrical strength, you know, weakness on, on the affected side more than the other? Do they have any of these other findings that are positive? And then imaging is absolutely 100% um, the final deciding factor. And so if somebody, it's real common to develop hip pain in basic training because they're doing a lot of activities that they hadn't done before, especially doing like a lot of V-ups and they're trying to, you know, that the leg tuck is something that a lot of soldiers struggle with, a lot of military members struggle with. And it's really, if you don't know how to do it correctly, it's hip flexor dominant. But if you know how to do it correctly, then you can get your back involved and that type of thing. And it's more back abs and then hip flexor. But most of these, most of these individuals don't do that. So they do a lot of hip hip flexor Mm -hmm. stuff. Um, so they're going to have pain. Iliopectineal bursitis was one of the number one things that we would see. So if the bone scan and the MRI are negative, that's what they have. Um, but at a certain point with the femoral neck, when you looked at the MRI, if the MRI was positive for findings in that area, you had to look at the extent. You had to to make a determination on whether or not, okay, if this soldier has, you know, just a tiny amount of bony edema in this area, then, but they're functionally, they're good, they're strong, they're symmetrical, they don't have an antalgic gait, then you can back them off of impact and loading for, you know, a week, but they can still participate in all the other training activities. And a lot of times that would resolve itself because sometimes that finding was simply their body adapting to the environment, especially if it was early on in training. Whereas if you saw a soldier that had like x-ray was normal, bone scan showed up uptake in the femoral neck area, but the MRI was negative, then you had to look for other signs and symptoms of a potential fracture if they had the antalgic gait, they had the pain with the resisted flexion, they had, you know, weakness noted um, that was asymmetrical, then we what we found is we look for joint effusion because joint effusion in the hip, even though there was no signs of a fracture on the MRI, was still an indication there was a fracture. We just couldn't see it yet. And that was the basis of my research, which hasn't been published yet, but hopefully that will get published in the American Journal of Sports Medicine sometime soon. But um, so basically, um, we would determine then, okay, is this, let's just say, okay, we see they're intelligent, they're, they're, you know, they have the pain with the, the straight leg raise and that type of thing. And we look at the imaging. Now, if we see on the MRI that there is less than 50% of a fracture, then the protocol is we pull those from training. We give them a chance to get their, you know, gait normalized in a protective way, get their strength built back up, get that symmetry of movement Um, And a lot of times they do just fine. But if it's 50% or more, that's a definite problem with instability of the fracture. And that needs to go on to orthopedics. 
Mm-hmm. Um, at other facilities, individuals who have less knowledge, less experience working with this, it would automatically be sent to ortho, and ortho would yeah. make that determination. So, you know, again, it, it depends yeah. on the experience, on the um, the knowledge of the PT who was seeing, you know, for that first time. And then some just weren't willing to take the responsibility for that, whatever happened with that patient. It would just defer them to ortho because they didn't want to be responsible. Right. Gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. Well, and my other question was then moving more into a treatment standpoint here, um, or like, you know, now you've been around this type of injury and these Mm -hmm. types of injuries that we think just stress injuries in general. So, so, you know, the, you know, when we're thinking about from our end, if someone does come in and and not necessarily if it's say suspected and we're worried, do we need to refer out for an image? Let's say we come in and it's already been determined that there was this going on. Maybe it's a stress reaction. Maybe it's not all Mm -hmm. the way full on to a full type of stress fracture, either femoral neck or elsewhere. You know, what kind of considerations from the clinical side do we need to be thinking about in terms of like how quickly and how often and how aggressively do we reintroduce impact and just some ideas around the treatment side of things. This is the hardest thing for a lot of people to understand because as soon as they hear stress injury, stress reaction, stress fracture, their brain is automatically that this is a, this is unstable. Mm-hmm. So I got to protect it and I've got to, you know, make sure it heals before we start letting them put weight through it or that type of thing. And the problem with that is um, stress injuries develop from recurrent, unusual stress through the bone. Walking is a normal stress. The body's used to that. It's developed the strength to tolerate that. But antalgic walking is not a normal stress. So if somebody comes in, they've been diagnosed with a stress injury, but their gait's normal, then you can just let them walk without crutches. It actually helps speed the healing process because the MRI... And this is something that they do need to do a lot more research on because radiologists are not quite up to speed on this particular injury. When trabecular heal, well, let me let me take that back. When trabecular break down, they break down perpendicular to the force that's put on them. So when they heal, they heal back up in that same, you know, linear fashion. And what's gonna what you're gonna see is a dark signal line on an MRI and everybody radiology ortho thinks dark signal line is worsening fracture it's it's a void they call it a signal void meaning oh my god there's a big space there between you know the bone they know that's not exactly it but that's what their brain sees mm-hmm. they see a dark line and they think oh my god there's no connection there it's unstable the reality is when trabecular heal the new bone that gets set down in the area where those tiny little microscopic fractures occur is going to come up dark on an MRI because it's not mature bone. And so what they're seeing is actually a healing fracture. A true fracture that hasn't started healing yet, you can't see, but you can see the other signs and symptoms of it. And when those trabeculas start healing, it starts to show this line that you know, can stop at a certain point or so when we would see somebody who was diagnosed with a stress injury of some sort and we look at the imaging, we could tell, oh, this is healing. 
this is healing well because we see this big, wide, dark line, but their gait's non-antalgic. They've got decent, you know, a decent squat form, that kind of thing. So those we know we can progress faster because we're dealing with a lot of good new bone that we need to now get to um, kind of realign itself along the lines of force we want it to. So, you know, it's a matter of starting those patients off with just basic strengthening because the other element is the deep hip intrinsic muscles will shut down first. And those are your stabilizers. And they're also part of what helps provide the shock absorption for the femoral head and neck. So you got to work on those first, regardless of what they look like. Um, whether they're antalgic or not. You need to work on those deep hip stabilizers first to get them activated and then start focusing on the bigger muscles. And then once they're able to tolerate, you know, some light impact, you just got to progress them like you would a normal patient. If it's somebody who's got a fracture and it's non-surgical or they're going to try to go without surgery, then... The primary focus is getting them back to normal stresses. So if their gait's antalgic, working on what needs to happen to decrease that antalgia. And a lot of times it's strengthening of the muscles because those things shut down and you know, doing trunk stabilization activities with weight through their legs. So mini squats and weight shifting and things like that. Um, and once they can walk without that abnormal gait pattern then it's a matter of functional strengthening single leg strengthening and getting equal control on both sides before you then start them into impact so it's a slower progression but it's the same progression you just got to get you got to focus on normalizing their daily movement and then once you can do that then you can progress them from there I love that, that I love that it just makes so much sense in our heads like you know it's, it's we have to have there has to be if we want adaptation there has to be some kind of stress to create some of that adaptation and walking or those daily stresses should be goal number one <laughs> I, I like how you worded that so that, that's super helpful for, for me and I, hopefully a lot of the clinicians too that'll just make sense to them yeah I, I, I talked to the ortho um, surgeons down at Fort Gordon about the same thing it's like I asked them like why is the automatic first response of a stress injury of any kind non-weight bearing for six weeks mm-hmm. and they're like well because we don't want the injury to progress it's like if you put it through normal stresses it won't so just take away the abnormal ones and you're fine so if they're walking normally why are you taking away their ability to weight bear because what that does is it decreases their bone density it weakens their muscles mm-hmm. and it makes them like almost fear avoidant in a way yeah, yeah. fear avoidant because yeah. they've been told by their surgeon or oh their doctor God, don't yeah. put your foot on the yeah. ground and so they yeah. freak out and then you know it takes so much longer because you're then having to overcome that fear yeah. along with trying to reassure that it's okay for them to do these things um, but what we found because we can see imaging and because we can order it we would do serial imaging on some of these soldiers that we would start doing more functional you know take the crutches away and have them do functional things right away and we found that they healed faster the trabecula that newborn or that new bone formed into better trabecula faster it kind of like dispersed it through the area and realigned things 
faster if you have them weight bearing right away and doing normal activities. As long as, you know, it's, yeah, they're not antalgic or that yeah, type yeah, yeah. of thing. So it actually sped the healing process up and we could show that through imaging. That's super cool. That, that was my timestamp there. That's probably the clip we're going to be playing yeah, yeah. that last uh, little part of the conversation. That was, that was that super cool yeah, yeah, right there. Yeah, that, that, that helped a ton. Yeah, that's stuff that ortho guys don't see because yeah. they got two minutes to spend with a patient. They look at an image, say surgery or not, and then... If it's surgery, then they poke the pins in and send them out, you know. So, yeah. but it's, they don't know how to think about it, right? Sure. Yeah. Sure. So, Colin, one of the things I don't think we, we mentioned at the beginning is that you retired. And probably, oh, one of, yeah. probably one of the busiest retirees. Yeah, I know. I was going to say, it doesn't um, seem like a very retired colleague. <laughs> I'm not actually working. Yeah. 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 You know? So, <laughs> I'm enjoying my life. Publishing, yeah. seamstress, concerts, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's another thing you have in common. We're both. We're both Foo Fighter fans. Oh, yeah. Dave Cole's a man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's perfect. Oh, yeah. And if you don't recognize the old backbeat barbecue, that's Dave Grohl's barbecue company that he... I didn't know he had one. Well, he... he, Is it mustard base or... I don't know, actually. Well, he's from Virginia. (laughs) He's from Virginia, so who knows? But, you know, when he's not performing and they have, like, these big shows and stuff, like, he'll just sit out there and grill away and feed the crew and feed oh, the bands cool. yeah. and no, yeah. he does it a lot for charity stuff he just enjoys it so this is his company that's back cool I, mean, oh, nice. I always pegged it, Dave Grohl to be a vegan I don't know I just thought <laughs> that's that you know, okay. yeah, okay. yeah, no. okay that's cool oh man no. well um so yeah, so I, you know, I, I know you and I have these conversations, but I like, I, I, it's like me kind of like pushing you to try to like form some type of a con ed course because you are the most knowledgeable person I've ever met in terms of bony stress injuries, injuries things like that. You taught me so much over the years um, in our conversations. You got any plans for that? You going to try to leverage yeah. this into any sort of you know, this is, <laughs> <laughs> you know with, with more of these articles finally coming to fruition and, and getting published, you know, that the possibility is that, you know, if I'm asked to come talk about this stuff, I'm more than happy to talk about it. Obviously, I can yep. talk um, for days. I'm Irish, so, <laughs> you know, we can talk about anything yep. forever. Um, I like teaching in terms of teaching professions that are not physical therapy. So it's mm-hmm. fun for me to talk to orthopedics and talk mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. physicians assistants and stuff about this stuff because they just don't know and they never will because they're not in the same situations that physical therapists are where we see the patient and incremental changes or little mm-hmm. like weird things that happen mm-hmm. in their day and we hear about or we see while they're doing activities and they never get to experience that, you know, so they just don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I told the orthopedic guys at Fort Gordon that in the, you know, well, I've been a physical therapist for over 30 years, but in the 20 plus years I worked in basic training, I never once saw a soldier's femoral neck or any other stress injury progress when we took them off the crutches. If anything, it just healed faster. Mm-hmm. And they're like, really? Mm-hmm. So now they've changed how they are managing those patients. Yeah, that's huge. That's, that's awesome. huge. That could be a big game changer there. Um, I know that when our listeners hear this episode, they're going to want to reach out to you. So mm-hmm. what would be the best way for our listeners to look you up? Uh, I am on Gmail. Okay. Colleen, C-O-L-L-E-E-N dot Barkley, B-A-R-K-L-E-Y at gmail.com is the easiest way to get in touch with me. Um, or contact you. Yep. Yeah. Because I'm hey, still going to be coming yep. in. Uh, yeah. 
you know, for yeah. for a bit doing my therapy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I will put I will yeah. put that in the show notes for sure. just in case. I'm, and then I'm you know, as job. far as radiology is concerned, if it comes to South Carolina, I am more than happy, like I said, to sit down with you guys one on one with your staff, talk about that stuff because yeah. it's my life was radiology and imaging for most of my career at Fort Jackson. Lord knows I'm going to need oh, that. No, I, I was saying to myself, like, I would be so unprepared. Right? <laughs> I was going to find my weakness. Oh, I, yeah. oh my gosh. I, mean, I remember, like, the one lecture in the one class in the first year of PT yeah. school. It's like, yeah. oh, yeah, you're not going to have to do this. See, so you're, you're lucky that I live so close and I like you guys. There so. we go. <laughs> yeah. Colin, this is a fantastic episode. There's I mean, I, I think this is going to blow a lot of people's minds. So thank you so much sure. for your time. And just, uh, we're getting close to holidays. So Merry Woo-hoo. Christmas and uh, Happy New Year. This Thank is a Better you. Faster Podcast. We're out. Give me the rage and let me run. Cause I ain't never had too much fun. This episode is brought to you by Vertex PT Specialist. One patient per doctor of physical therapy per hour. Guaranteed. The best physical therapy ever. Check us out at vertexpt.com or on the gram at vertexpt.